conversations around good. Yo, we talking. The conversations around good. Yo, yo, we talking. Yo. Conversations, conversations, conversations around the good. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am so excited that you're about to listen in on another episode of the Made Possible by Podcast. I wanted to take a quick second to let you know exactly what we do. Made Possible by makes giving easy for community-minded businesses and provide a more effective way to share their stories of good. Now let's jump into the podcast. Welcome to the Made Possible by Podcast, where we have conversations around good with community-minded individuals. We hope that today's episode inspires you to go out and do good. Hello, and thank you again for joining us for another conversation around good. I am Tracy with Made Possible By, and we love to make good loud. We love to share stories of individuals, businesses, organizations, anyone who is doing cool things in their community. We would love to share your story, too. So if you go to madepossibleby.us and click podcast, there's a place for you to sign up or you want to sign somebody else up, probably tell them before you sign them up, but maybe suggest somebody (laughs) that you would like that have good things going on. And we would love to share that. We love to make it loud. We love to brag on them because very often people don't like to share their own good, but we love to do that. So go ahead and sign up for that. But today I'm so excited. I am really honored to have this power team on today. It's one of those I see them on Instagram all the time. Their Instagram inspires me. In fact, I steal ideas from them and they said that that's okay. So (laughs) I'm going to continue to do that. Um, But I am so pleased to have the co-founders of We Are For Good with us today. We have Becky Endicott and John McCoy. Thank you, both of us, for joining us today. Hi, Tracy. Thank you so much. Hi, it's good to be with you. It's awesome to be here. Thank you guys so much. So I'm going to give a little bit of background. Um, Let's start with what We Are For Good is. And this definition, it's just, it's brilliant. Um, We Are For Good is a digital kindness community. It's like you had me at hello right there. Digital (laughs) kindness community. Um, And is working to revolutionize the nonprofit industry through profound compassion best-in-class education and training, authentic storytelling, and crazy good marketing, all leading to an impact uprising, which hashtag impact uprising. It's podcasts of the same name, which they release three times a week, which makes my head explode a little bit to think of releasing three podcasts a week. It's frightening. Um, It debuted at number one in the nonprofit category and is frequented by nonprofit colleagues around the world, as well as do-gooders who are simply looking for a reason to smile or celebrate humanity. Anna and Becky are two Oklahoma business partners and friends who have 35 combined years of experience in nonprofit development. John's the designer, Becky's the writer, but they call themselves marketers disguised as fundraisers. They cut their teeth building Oklahoma State University's foundation inaugural marketing department whilst having some serious imposter syndrome that first year. We're going to circle back to that because imposter syndrome, it's a real thing. 
It's a real thing. It is. Yeah. Uh, uh, I hate it. Um, while at OSU, they were able to set down the first roots of phil- philanthropic storytelling via print, graphic, and digital deliverabilities, leading to the launch of the $1 billion initiative, Branding Success, which is Oklahoma's largest philanthropic campaign effort to date. Their wanderlust for building something new led to led them to Oklahoma City for nearly a decade-long service to Oklahoma's largest nonprofit healthcare system, Integris Foundation, where they where they led teams in annual giving events, stewardship, major gifts, and built a groundbreaking employee giving campaign model that's been internationally replicated and developed in developing shops around the world. Wow, guys, that's Seriously, the Oklahoma State Foundation and Integris, those are big deals. That's not small to cut your teeth on big deals. <laughs> I love that Thanks, you man. think that we knew what we were doing yeah, there, we but no we just idea. had to fumble through it. <laughs> Speaking of imposter syndrome, no, we'll get back to that. Yeah. We'll get back to that. So clearly, like I said, this power team, they have skills, but this team is so much more than that. I think in the business world, we talk a lot about ROI. What's my ROI? What's my ROI? What am I going to get out of the situation? But this power team, I think they give ROR in return on relationship and that they're not just about business. They're about connecting people, um, working in the nonprofit world and helping people um, be able, these nonprofits to be able to do the best that they can. And they can't do that without fundraising period. I mean, that's just the ugly matter of things that it always takes money, but they're not just about that. They're about relationship. And I, I appreciate that so much because very often I, I can be this way to just to be, I have a goal in mind and I'm just going to strive and I'm just going to make it happen. And sometimes I steamroll people in the process. Um, but you guys clearly care about people. So thank you for having that to be at the centerpiece of you. Well, that is such a generous intro, but we feel the same way about you. Appreciate the way that you are showing up and serving and turning all these corporate, you know, giants into uh, these that have souls. And I think you're doing that with connecting people to giving and meaningful programs. So um, just love how you serve this space so much. And it's an honor to be here. Well, thank you, guys. I appreciate you taking the time. So tell me, both of you, let's start with you, Becky. Tell me something unique about you and something that brought you joy this week. Um, something unique about me is I am 50% Italian, which in my generation is, uh, really says something because I was raised by immigrants and, um, yeah, food and family, a la familia, very important to me. So a, a lot of the things that bring me joy in my life center around eating and bringing my family together. And so, yeah, I, I really love my Italian roots and we will have homemade ravioli for Thanksgiving on occasion. So nice. that's something interesting about me. Oh, I love that. So is your family loud? Uh, yeah. And I'm the loudest among them. So <laughs> sorry. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. That's great. My husband's family is a uh, Yugoslavian, Hungarian. And the first time I hung with his family, I was shocked first at the amount of food that they eat because I'm from Boulder and we're all about Brussels sprouts and salads. And there was (laughs) nothing green, nothing green. We were there for days. There was nothing green. And it was just whoever is talking the loudest is going to get heard. And I just remember I just kept creeping back (laughs) in my seat going, you people are a little bit scary, but they're super sweet. (laughs) It was just a lot different than 
what I had experienced. So when I saw my big fat Greek wedding for the first time, I was like, this is our family. Only we're not Greek. We're Italian. So I get what you're saying. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. I love family stories like that. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, John, tell us something unique about you and something that brought you joy this week. Well, they're kind of one and the same. So if you don't know our personal story, my wife and I, we have been blessed with two sets of twins which has completely defined the last eight years of our life. We've got two eight-year-olds, boy and girl, and two just turned six this weekend, um, six-year-old girls. And so definitely the heartbeat of our life and completely has changed everything. (laughs) Uh, I'd say the moment of joy, you know, the girls turned six, which is hard to believe, um, but them wanting skateboards and being completely fearless and skateboarding and roller skating all over town is cracking me up and making me realize how fearful I am, you know, physically of things, but they just have no fear. And I love it so much. Oh my gosh. Two sets of twins had clearly was twins (laughs) in your background before. So my wife's family actually is interesting. I think there's seven sets of twins. So if we go to a family reunion, there is seven sets of twins, but I'll say our journey was part, I mean, this is probably more information for this podcast, but we faced um, a fertility struggle and it really coincided. And and part of the reason I think that philanthropy has captured part of my heart is how philanthropy intersected that at the same time. So when we had moved to Oklahoma City to join at Integris Foundation, Candace and I were just starting to think about starting a family and we'd started trying, but weren't having success and part of Integris's incredible benefits at the time were you could go and get 90% coverage for fertility treatments, which is just unheard of, you know, in a corporate environment. So we went through, had the test, and Dr. Kallenberger, one of the best fertility doctors really in the country, you know, brought us into his office. And I remember sat us down and said, you know, the reality is, is that your option, if you want to have a biological child, is to pursue IVF. And you probably should start today because, and I felt like we were young, we had just run a marathon, we felt healthy, but it was just like, just hit with a ton of bricks of like, wow, I can't believe this is our story. Um, But just the miracle of that process. And I say philanthropy intersected it because honestly, at the same time, this is what one thing that coincides with We Are For Good is we had championed a employee giving program. Again, Becky and I didn't know what we were building. We knew what we wanted the core tenants or beliefs to be, but we didn't know what that campaign would really take shape and how it would grow and how it'd become this big thing. But at the same time, that campaign was funding an ultrasound machine in the fertility clinic. And Becky and I both, this is part of both of our stories, even though we have our own journeys and we're happily married to other people. People think that we're married, but we're not. But um, both of our stories ended up at different points in that fertility clinic using that ultrasound machine that was bought by employees through this campaign. And I think the moment that that happened, I think we both had this realization of like philanthropy can impact each of us in a real personal way. And that's what it's all about. You know, it's about getting people involved in the giving side. And it's also about getting people to feel the impact of it. So they believe in investing in people, investing in causes. And so when it can become personal, it just really takes it to a different level. And that's something that has stoked both of our hearts to create We Are For Good because we want to create that impact uprising everywhere. I mean, through small philanthropy, big philanthropy, just because we've seen how it transforms people. So, oh, you're speaking our language right there. I love that. <laughs> yes, it it's, it is transforming. Wow, that's I've been down the uh, for infertility road. That's not a fun road, and to have that paid for. Oh my word! Yeah. What a I mean, huge there's blessing. There's still cost, and you know, we always joke that you don't 
you don't get like buy one, get one free at the hospital. It's like the start of everything being doubled begins. But I mean, clearly we probably wouldn't have considered it an option if we wouldn't have had the financial help to get the treatments in the beginning. So huge shout out to Integris and yes. doctors and nurses and all that. Absolutely. Yeah. My sister had twins and I, there's not a lot of sleeping to be had when you have twins. <laughs> Babies. I think John and Candace are just now starting to sleep again kind a little of. bit. Well, <laughs> then, we then we started a company, business, so. so maybe yeah, not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a different kind of sleepless. Uh, that's so right. great. I love that your six-year-old girls are into skateboards. I Oh, yeah, that was I, their number one thing that they wanted. That is so <laughs> awesome. We had uh, one of our houses along the road when our boys were younger. We had a huge formal dining, and we're not really formal dining people. And so we put a full-size basketball hoop on the wall and we had skateboard ramps in there. And oh. my my <laughs> oldest, mom alert. yeah, uh, well, I don't know about that, a, a gullible mom alert. Um, but we had, uh, I mean, my oldest at the time, he was probably 10 or 12, was totally into skateboarding. And so it, it was crazy at my house. It was crazy until the, you know, the hoop gets pulled off the wall and the skateboards, there's just a line along the level of a skateboard of just the cut end of the skateboard going into the wall. We, we sold the house. We had to just go along the road, the, the bottom of the wall and patch all these skateboard holes. But. Oh, that's a great story though. So it was memory. Fun. It was fun. Uh, you know, you, you just gotta, whatever feeds their soul, right? You're going to. Do what you can, even though it scares it. you to death for the little kids to be out there on skateboards. I feel you on that. But the joy of watching, you know, their excitement for it, it's all worth it. Yes. That's so great. I love that. So tell us um, the We Are For Good founders story. I mean, that's the genesis of that. Um, we heard how you guys are friends and how you worked together before, but give us a little bit more details of that. Well, I would say, yeah, I'll take the beginning part of that. Um, we were, I, you mentioned that we met at OSU's foundation up in Stillwater, and I actually hired John to be my intern, um, my graphic design intern one year. And so John like saw these really ugly posters that we put up around the design school when he was like, they need some help clearly. And so hired John to come over, be my intern and, you know, his, talent is just incredible. And so quickly he ascended to the top of being our lead designer. And we just have this sort of unspoken friendship and professionalism between us. We are both, uh, again, ridiculous idealists. And we believe we can change the world even like 17 years later, however long we've been together. And so we just, um, we operate a lot in the same way. We think a lot in the same way. We're creative types. And so when I got hired at um, Integris in Oklahoma City, I basically was like, you're coming with me, John, and we will make a space <laughs> for you wherever that is. Um, we'll make it worth your while. And so we have just worked like hand in glove together for almost two decades. And John is, um, I mean, we, we called each other work spouses until it cre creep people out. And then they kept thinking we were married. So now I call him my work little brother. He's the little brother I never had. Yeah, I give him noogies. Um, and, and, you know, John is such a big dreamer. And he has always had this entrepreneurial spirit within him. And we would do some things kind of on the side in terms of we would do consulting. And John's always had his own consulting business that he would do in tandem with a full-time job at a nonprofit. And so he's working, you know, at nights and on the weekends with these other nonprofit missions and getting their marketing up and going, doing branding, doing websites. 
and I would occasionally come along and if there was some writing to be done or if we needed to do a case for support, those kinds of things, I would come in. And we just started dreaming about what is it we don't like about nonprofit? What is it? How how can we bring our gifts to equalize the sector? How can we lift up people who are frequently overlooked? Um, how do we start to value all people at the same level? You know, we there's sort of a savior complex with major gift donors and nonprofit where they can say anything, do anything, and and we started to build this employee giving campaign. And we realized that there is so much power in making your base level, your very, I call it the church collection plate of donors, um, feel empowered that they are making a huge difference. And when you empower them to get in lockstep with each other, you actually see movements rise. And I would say I'll stop there and John can take over because I feel like a lot of We Are For Good was just John's mind, like never settling and never um, quieting in terms of how we can keep pushing the envelope. And I love that about him. Oh, thanks, Becky. You're welcome. Um, You know, she's right. Like, I think we watch kind of movements happen and grow in front of us on the philanthropy side. And at the same time, I'm just always reading and trying to grow and understand how entrepreneurism works and just the different ideas that are happening out there. And I just started to notice really a disconnect between definitely the pace at which nonprofit organizations move and the pace at which like the problems around the world need to be solved. And I think they just like started to collide of like, we need to step in and do something here because, you know, we know from working in higher ed and just from our own personal lives, education, the access to resources is absolutely paramount to breaking through barriers. And so we just really saw this space of how can we create a table that's incredibly inclusive, that invites the best minds, the best thinkers together to sit and have fun, honestly, too, but also be able to talk about the ideas that can move us all forward. And that's this idea of this impact uprising that we talk about because our minds are just exploded beyond. It's not just about you know, raising more money, although that's a huge part of it. It's also about activating people to be more philanthropic in their heart, because we know what that does to a society and we know what that can do on a grander scale. And so it's hilarious that, I mean, we're big dreamers, but we're so big that we're like, what would stop from this little tiny office in our 99 year old house here in Edmond, Oklahoma, what would stop us from really changing the world and moving the needle to get more people involved in philanthropy? by activating people and teaching people the best you know, things, not from us, but from curating the best minds and just starting the conversations and creating the place to do that. And so kind of all those things are kind of germinating together. And we love the platform of a podcast. We love what it did in terms of building long form storytelling content. The fact that you can publish and it be, could be available around the world instantaneously, that you can just really build friends and build a network through that. And it just was such a great fit for us as a starting place. And I will tell you, you know, we started with the podcast, but it is really just like the tip of the iceberg of how we want to so- show up and serve the sector. Um, it's allowed us to meet so many incredible people and we're working to really develop kind of the next step of the We Are For Good puzzle, which is to bring the best education available. And we, this is kind of a big word, but we love to use it is democratize, just make it more accessible, the best training accessibility to literally everybody that wants it and needs it in nonprofits. So looking at making an incredibly low price point and looking to bring the best minds that would, you know, otherwise be hard to tap. 
and really trying to make that all available in one place for people. And we're just so passionate about it. So that's what we're working on. <laughs> that's kind of what we did. That's a big vision. <laughs> or as, we're not as, scared. As, we're not scared. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I think one of the things that binds John and I is that we are not at all deterred by somebody telling us something can't work. I mean, it fuels us. And mm-hmm. so when we say that we think we can change the world, we literally think we can do it. And part of the ethos of our company was how do we show up kindly? How do we show up and have empathy? And how do we make that cool? I mean, we we were saying the other day, we have literally gone back to kindergarten and we are trying to teach people those kindergarten principles again of you know, sharing is caring. And how do you, you know, include more people at the table? And, you know, how do you listen, you know, really well? So it's not yours is not the only voice. And so, yeah, I think our need to just be different, to show up differently, to not do the expected thing, to actually look at it something completely differently and innovate it um, is probably our secret sauce as much as just keeping it light and laughing a lot probably is too. And it's not an ego thing like, oh, we can change the world. Like I only believe that's possible because the collective power of people that want to pull into this. And if we can be the ones to stand up and say, hey, let's gather around this table, let's build the table here. Like we want to help build the table, but it's definitely not that the two of us are going to do that. We want to lift the voices of all these other people. Um, and so, yeah, we're actually flying our first group of who we're calling good profs into Oklahoma city this summer to film some really high production just courses, because we want to provide the best type of teaching at scale um, of the best minds. So it's happening. We're excited. That's exciting that you're flying people in. That's so cool. Can you give us a sneak peek of some names? Is there, or, or keeping it secret? No, I mean, I feel like we could drop some. So (laughs) yeah, drop away. Uh, I I will do the storyteller one because I love to be the resident storyteller. But we have Julia Campbell and she's an incredible uh, Bostonian um, storyteller. And so she works with nonprofits and really impactful social cause um, organizations about how do you tell your story well because the basis of connection really is rooted in storytelling. And so it's about how do we do that digitally? How do you do it, you know, not just on a podcast, but how do you do it in person? How do you do it with materials that you send out? And it's really about taking all that corporate speak away and making sure that it's really humanizing, vulnerable um, um, sort of writing. So anyway, that's one. Yeah, I would also throw out Crystal Cherry. She is one of our favorite Atlantans, is that the word for that? <laughs> but so we met, this Atlanteans. is the thing, so we meet these people by just spending an hour with them on the podcast. And we're looking for people who are incredibly kind, good humans that are just saying what needs to be said, you know? And Crystal is a disruptor in the board space. So I think the way we talk about boards is completely wrong. And she just really has turned that narrative on its head, but about inclusion, about trying to break down this, um, kind of historic, just inaccessibility of boards and saying, this is how you can literally help lean in and change nonprofit organizations from the top down. Um, so real powerful person there, Delari Gandhi from we love Delari Gandhi. Austin is going to come up. She's working for the Michael and Susan Dell foundation as a program officer. She, you know, has come on our podcast and shared, you know, the way we're looking at making grants, like uh, uh, pursuing grants is all wrong. It's about building relationships and it's about partnering and that's a huge theme, you know, that we see right now is just this partnership around values um, is really where philanthropy is headed and really should have been all along. 
But so yeah, that's just a sampling. We have eight coming in, I think nine. total eight or nine coming in. So it's mm-hmm. going to be amazing. And we'll start doing this um, as we build our catalog of content. Nice. Oh, I'm excited for you all. It's so fun because I know education is a big piece, um, a, a, a big cog on your wheel. So that's great. Sure. I, I love Becky, how you're talking about taking people back to kindergarten, because I think <laughs> we sometimes we just get full of ourselves or think I've grown or I have these skills or I have this degree, but it comes back to the simple things. It comes back to being kind. And when you see your friend hurting that you care about that, or are you going to share your stuff? You know, it just, it goes back (laughs) to, we learned everything we needed to know in kindergarten. We did. And actually my daughter, my IVF baby, um, and my little fertility miracle was in kindergarten right before we launched our company. And so I'm looking at these little things that she brings home from the counselor and from these class team building activities. And I mean, I even look at something like they have a buddy bench at her school, you know, where you can, if somebody's sitting there, everybody knows that they need to go over and ask someone to play. And so there's, there's never this level of isolation. And I think, man, adults could really benefit from that. I mean, especially, you know, in COVID, we're all isolated in some way. But yeah, it's just kind of reminding people of who we are, what makes uh, communities thrive, what makes really sound um, and vibrant relationships. And it's and it's just about connecting and being kind and being a good listener, being a good chair, making sure that everybody has enough. And so Really, we just kind of threaded that into our company. And yeah, and it's funny to me and how shocking people, shocked people are that we're talking about it. Yeah, (laughs) it's really disruptive to adults to go back to that really basic layer and thread everything we do through it. It's funny. Like I said, we, we feel like we're all sophisticated and, you know, we've got our fancy suits on and our power lipstick and whatever and and then it comes back to the buddy bench, you know. I mean, right? And I be mean, wearing my yoga pants. Yes, yeah, uh, exactly. I got my yoga pants on right now. Same. You. Oh my gosh! Well, that feeds into the poster, imposter syndrome because I feel like the buddy bench would be very beneficial to all of us who are <laughs> dealing with the imposter syndrome right. because you just. I mean, I know when I started, I started my career in the fitness industry, and I was felt like a total imposter. And then I moved into the chambering world. And when they first asked me, Hey, Tracy, we want you to take over, be the CEO of this chamber. My first thoughts in my head were, I don't have the chops for that. I can't do that. And it took me about three days of just mulling that over going, you're going to hate yourself, not hate yourself, but you're going to be really disappointed down the road if you don't step up and try it. But I completely felt like an imposter the whole time. And then moving into the technology space, I'm not a technology per- person. My team jokes, I'm the Jar Jar Binks of technology <laughs> in our team. <laughs> I mean, I just... That's hilarious. I uh, always, if something's going wrong with my phone, I hand it to Hetty. Hetty, fix my phone. Because Hetty Coleman, can, he's the technology guy. He has two phones just because he wants to have an Android and an iPhone at the same time. That's how he lives. Oh, wow. Hetty's a renaissance man. Hi, Hetty. Hi, Hetty. Shout out to Hetty Coleman. But I, again, if I have to start talking technology, that's not my part of my role. But I feel like an imposter when I try to sit in and go, yeah, I, I, somebody writes code for our business. It's not me, but, you know, so we all deal with that. So talk to us about how you dealt with that. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's definitely a part of our story. I think Becky was hired on as the director of marketing at OSU Foundation at what, 20? 24. 24. I was a baby. I didn't know what I didn't know. I was faking it till I made it. So the fact that we, you know, I was straight out of college and through a series of events, it turned out that our marketing team was going to be creating from the ground up the branding and marketing and storytelling for the billion dollar campaign. I don't know that it was originally planned to be that, but that's what how it kind of played out. I mean, none of us had the experience to do that, but I will tell you, and I still struggle with imposter syndrome. I mean, every time we press play, getting to talk to some of these people and stories that we get to be witness to, I just feel like, how am I, how do I get to be at this table? Because I don't, I don't bring that level to it either, but it is just like a constant thing that you just have to like lean into it. And, and the biggest thing that I have figured out is just lean into your authenticity, your vulnerability because people love that. I mean, you know, people will relate to you if you just speak it out as truth of, wow, I'm really intimidated. I I have super fanned over you my entire life. I will tell somebody that as we get on a podcast. And I think it disarms a little bit because I am who I am. I'm not going to be the most perfect speaker, but I am here following my passion and showing up. Um, and I think this, the same is true as we've talked to different experts on it. Crystal Cherry, actually, ironically, we just talked about her, but you know, she says, if you, a young person going into the board reminder, these are all people. They're people that are, have children that are probably your age and they love their kids, you know? So go that angle, ask them about their kids, be human, ask human questions and it helps disarm. And I think as a young professional, I was always scared that I need to think of a question for the board member when I probably could have just said, Hey, I'd love to hear about your family. Like how, you know, what do y'all like to do on the weekends or just be be human. And it really does allow you to connect with people. What are your, you've got lots of tips, I'm sure. I mean, I just, you, you said so much of what I was going to say, but I will say one way that we were able to overcome imposter syndrome at OSU is by having some really incredible leaders who gave us incredible uh, risk capital and a runway to do incredible things. We had a super young team I mean, we were almost all 20-somethings running a marketing department at this major university. And I remember having just some of the most out there ideas, you know, uh, that was a, that were lifted among the team. And I would take them to our CEO, Kirk Jewell, and I would say, what do you think about this? And he would say, do you believe in it? And I said, yeah, I think we can do it. And he was like, go. And just to be able to have that creative freedom to dream about things that were, that had never been done. And it gave us so much, I feel like it gave us legs to be able to be standing in the place that we're here today. But I think we just turn imposter syndrome completely on its head. I mean, something that we've done recently is we have um, an ungettable get list for our pod, for our podcast. And we ended up posting it publicly. And I mean, it is you, you would laugh if you saw this. Most normal people would laugh. I mean, we have Michelle Obama on there. We have Brene Brown. We have Warren Buffett. We have, and, and then we have some very, very, what I would call average people, you know, who are doing incredible things because they have started movements or they have started nonprofits or startups that are showing up and doing really big things in the world. And so we just kind of put it out there and we're like, do we think that we are a big enough deal here in Oklahoma that we could possibly have on Dolly Parton and talk about her philanthropy? No, but we do believe 
in community and we believe community is everything. And we believe that there is somebody out there who might go to church with Dolly's sister or be in the same knitting class and they <laughs> might be able to make an introduction to us. And that's really where the imposter syndrome starts to just kind of fade away for us because we started another podcast recently that's going to be launching soon called Good Humans. And we're literally just sitting down with billionaires and celebrities and these great thought leaders. And we're trying to do nothing more than humanize them. Um, we want people to know that they're not just people of wealth and influence. They actually have a story. And the more that we can be reminded of someone's frailty, of their vulnerability, of their humanity, then that other stuff just kind of seems to dissipate for us. It goes back to kindergarten. Everybody's a human. Everybody, <laughs> a right? of the day. <laughs> Everybody deserves a place at the table. It doesn't matter what you look like, what your skills are. Um, everybody deserves a place. ROI or ROR, ROR. We're going to keep focusing on that relationship. There you go. Tell me, what was it like launching in the middle of a pandemic? I know we've, we're probably all sick and tired of hearing about pandemic or COVID or stuff. You know, we have but, heard a new phrase that we really love that we're a pandemic baby company. So we do, we associate with that. <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be a lot of I pandemic mean, babies pretty soon, but yes, business-wise. For sure. Yeah. Not well, just know, I talked a lot. Real I talk- babies. It is so true. <laughs> I talked kind of the big vision of what made us start We Are For Good, but really the iterations practically of like, how are we actually going to feed our families on the back side of this has iterated over time. And um, I would say last, it was the November before. So in 2019, I feel like Becky and I at that point were having really serious, regular conversations about what it kind of shape is this going to take? And we were definitely leaning toward more consultant you know, specific activity, especially around employee giving, there's a lot of connectivity there. There's a lot of need there. And so we were looking to build a platform just around that. I mean, because there's such a uh, opportunity for institutions to really lean into disruptive employee giving. But as we started to explore, I remember we were at Jimmy John's or one of those places sitting at the booth talking about this. And we're like, why are we building a company that's going to like take us away from our families? Like we're going to be flying and consulting on either coast. We had contracts, you know, in development on both sides of the country. And we just had this aha moment of like, we need to completely rethink this. I mean, this is our next step because we feel passionate to serve, but why do we have to be bound by location? Why do we have to be thinking that this is the only way to do this? And that day I think was a big pivot of just starting to rethink we knew the vision we wanted to achieve, but the way we actually wanted to carry it out was totally different. And so that's when we really leaned into this idea of fi- figuring out the podcast may be the way to do that. But if we're going to do a podcast, we want to disrupt the podcast scene. So, I mean, you could look, we have spreadsheets of every nonprofit podcast that we could find, the frequency, how long are the episodes, what type of topics do they do? And we just wanted to create something wholly different that served a gap in the market and so as that began to, you know, get legs, here comes, you know, we had picked a date, um, middle of the summer for 2020. Uh, again, this is pre-pandemic before anything we knew it was going to happen. Becky had made a, a declaration, like I am jumping on July 1st. And I was like, okay, I'm jumping July 1st too, I think. <laughs> I peer pressured him. <laughs> My wife, Candace was a huge in getting me to commit of just, John, you've just, um, you've held back for so long and you've had this on your heart. Like this is the time you got to do this. So really early that year, we made that commitment 
And then the world shut down on March 13th or around March 13th here in Oklahoma. And it's funny because everything that we had pivoted to from just how the business model would work, how we would finance everything, how we would deliver content, this plan that we just kind of teased of how we're going to teach at this different level, you know, using people, all of that had come together before the pandemic had happened. So the pandemic just confirmed it all. I mean, it was fascinating that nothing changed as a result of that. Now, did a couple contracts fall through from the consulting side? For sure that happened. But by and large, it's like the plan that we had set out was just recession proof or COVID proof enough. That was this perfect window when people all of a sudden become comfortable with Zoom and comfortable with just all the technology that we had just been using all this time to get ready for. And so it just really seemed serendipitous. I'll say from like a personal level, like I wanted to spend more time with my family. And so it was like this gift of those last few months when we were still working at our corporate jobs of just getting to be here, be present, really reflect on what we want our next step of life to look like. And now it just feels normal to, to have it all mashed together, right? I mean, we make the podcast from the house. Candace is uh, homeschooling the kids throughout the city and upstairs at different places. Um, and so it's just, that's life now. And I think it's, I can't imagine it happening any other way because it's been so much part of the story of, of how we designed it, honestly. And I mean, I will say we had never done a podcast yeah. until we flipped our switch, the on button and interviewed our first guest. And we, I mean, we certainly listened to podcasts, but we had never hosted one. We'd never had a discussion, but for John and I, we just knew each other so well. And we felt confident that we knew our business so well that it's like, well, we're just going to have a conversation in the same way we would if we were just going to sit down with Tracy across, you know, at a coffee shop and we we're going to have this exact same conversation. We're just going going to put a little bit more production value behind it. So yeah, it just, it really worked out for us. And the pandemic, you know, helped push people more online. I would say by the time we launched in August, everyone was so fatigued by the negativity, by being together and isolated that we were bringing something that was really hopeful. We were bringing really incredible stories of nonprofits and people doing great things in the world. And it's like, everybody just kind of needed a boost. And so we definitely didn't have that in our business plan, but it just kind of worked out that way. It was serendipitous. Indeed. Uh, I, I, I love to hear stories how COVID made things better. Cause yeah. there's, yeah. we have lots of stories of how COVID made life hard. Oh, so it's yeah. good. To, it's Thank good you for to... saying that. Cause it, it makes you feel a little bad to say that, you know, if it wasn't for this pandemic, I mean, our company probably wouldn't have taken off if it hadn't. But, you know, we've interviewed so many people who left their jobs either right after the pandemic or a little bit into it who were looking for purpose. And it's just created a hard reset and reflection for a lot of people to, am I doing the things I want to do that serve me well, that serve my family well? Am I spending my time you know, wrapping my values and my gifts around things that are important to me. And I know that's certainly been true for John and I with our respective families. Yeah. Sure. 20, 2020 was definitely hit the pause button and let, let's think this through. So I'm glad that that worked out well for you all. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. What's good, people? Hey, this is Hetty again. I just want to, first of all, let's give a shout out to Tracy, our great host uh, for the conversation around good 
podcast. We also want to give a shout out to another one of our sponsors. And that sponsor is Plenty Mercantile. We love, love, love the team at Plenty Mercantile. They have been great supporters of our platform. And so we're thankful that they are now sponsoring this podcast so that we can get great stories, inspiring stories out to you, the listener. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the story. It's been around since 2012. They have several locations. They have one in uh, downtown Oklahoma City in the historic Automobile Alley. They have one in Edmond at Spring Creek and then also one in Chisholm Creek. And uh, the downtown store has a great rooftop venue and a warehouse for events. So uh, please check them out. You can go to their website at www.plentymercantile.com. And there you'll also find all their social handles. I follow them. Uh, The Made Possible team follows them. So we want you to go follow them as well. And they would love to meet you. So go ahead and stop by one of their locations and just always remember, shopping uh, at local retailers make makes a big difference. All right, let's jump into this episode. I'm tossing it over to Tracy. When people ask you about your business, what do you say? How do you describe your products or services? Are you selling yourself short because you just can't put it into words? You're good at what you do, but it's not always easy to communicate how you're great at your work with simplicity. But now you have help. My friend Andrea at Strategic Hype will help you clarify your mission and communicate your value with a hype kit. This process will help you cut through the noise and share the best of what you do. We recently did a hype kit for Made Possible By, and it has allowed us to really simplify our message in order to get greater reach. For details on all the good stuff you'll get out of this hype kit, email andrea at strategic-hype.com or reach out to us and we will personally connect you. Give us your thoughts on the power of corporate giving and how it's changing. I love how you've said um, the disruption of employee giving being um, a powerful force that we is very often overlooked. Um, I've met with a, I've done a couple of podcasts with people who have talked about their internal giving being exactly what you're saying that it's it's what's the driving force. It's what's making the difference, and we've really discovered that it gives those people, like you said, ownership, not just for the nonprofit that they're helping, but it gives them buy-in to their company, that my company actually really cares, not just about me, well, not just about them, but about me as well, you know, that, that they want me to be involved in this. So tell me what that looks like on your end. Yeah. I mean, I think we're having increasing conversations about it too, as the sector is looking at it differently. Corporations are looking at it differently. I think there's a reckoning 
you know, going on definitely with how corporations are responding to present day events, present day uprising of different magnitudes. I mean, there's increasing calling for there to be responsibility and to be active in those discussions and to provide a workforce that, you know, people feel upheld and feel supported as people are moving through these different you know, things that we see. And so I just think that is playing out in how corporations play in philanthropy too. Um, it's a lot of the same narrative that we talk about is it's leaning into what are truly the values. Where do you really want to lock arms? I think there's a lot of unique ways that corporations are not partnering. Although Tracy, you lead the charge in making this actually tangible. Thank of, you. Thank you for sure. Of corporations finding unique ways to partner with nonprofits that being part of their story. We just see so much value in getting to be part of that, that it's just people are leaving that on the table from an engagement standpoint and from public relations standpoint, which would be the last reason to do it. But just also just how you are a corporate citizen and a community citizen and how you can all pitch in. And so I love you know some of those narratives that are lifting. and It's being impacted. I think you know one of my favorite books is Simon Sinek's The Infinite Game. And I think it's threaded through there of that we're moving into a season that's like different than typical. Um, what am I? You have to cut this because I can't think of my word quick enough. That's okay. We've got all the time um, in the world. Capitalism. There you go. Yeah, there we go. So it's like we're moving into this whole second season of what capitalism is. It's not just about churning out profits. It's what is your impact in the world? What are the impacts of your business? And how are we cleaning that up on all fronts? I mean, down the supply chain and in the way that we impact in the communities that we work in and the people that work for us. So I love this conscious consumerism that's coming up out of that. And we're just so much here for that. But I think it is a moment for nonprofits to rise, for corporations to rise and have these conversations because we can both help each other in, in really big, powerful ways if we can just get to the table together uh, to do that. So, And I would just also add, if, if the 1.0 version of corporate giving was buying a table at a gala, I mean, the 2.0 version is really corporations listening to their employees. And so for anyone listening to this, I would say you have an important voice at your company about the things that are important to you and the way that you want the the corporate, your business to align with things that are happening within your own community or within the world. And I'll give just a couple of examples. Um, we had um, a great conversation with the founders of She's the First, which is a great organization um, that empowers young girls around the world to pick a future that's right for them. And for one of the stories that they shared with us is that they got this random $25,000 gift that came in through their online giving one day. And then they found out the day after, because it was a very big Fortune 100 company, they had never gotten a gift from them before. They find out the next day that a young 20-something, I think Gen Zer, had told her company when they did a request for what are the what are the nonprofits that you're most passionate about and why, she put in a really passionate plea for she's the first. And just by virtue of lifting her voice, she was able to inspire a $25,000 gift to her favorite nonprofit. You know, we talked to Mike Beckham, who is the CEO of Simple Modern. So anybody in Oklahoma, you can be really proud of this Oklahoma-based company that makes the most incredible insulated drinkware. And they have put giving as a core theme to their entire company. I think their mission is to is they live to give generously. Or yeah, so. I think you're right. And so. and they give their employees like a thousand dollars or a certain set of money to give to charities. 
they make charitable gifts as a company into four core areas that are most important to them. Um, they mobilize their employees to go out and work and advocate and serve um, in some of the nonprofits that they're in line to. So it's just a very evolved way of thinking. And we are so geeked out over it. We think it's just fantastic because it allows consumers and employees to hold corporations feet to the fire about the things that are important and to choose good every time. Uh, I love that. I, and I really, I agree with you. I see that changing in employees having such a voice. Uh, Kim Ray here in Oklahoma City does a great job at that as well as matching, matching gifts. Agreed. And they'll, if their employees are involved in some nonprofit, they're very likely going to give to it. I mean, they have a matching I mean, fund that they do. I, I mean, but we're seeing made possible. I've really noticed that and granted, we work with community-minded businesses, so these are people who already care. But they're not oh, just yeah. going. Well, I love it. It's 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 so great to work with people who you know who are awesome, who care about people. Um, but they aren't just giving as an afterthought. It's the beginning. It's the part of their genesis. And when they give to these nonprofit, these are their people. It's not just writing a check and go, okay, see you later. Like Happy Plate Concepts in Oklahoma City. It's the Taqueria in the Rail Yard. It's uh, Sunnyside Diner. It's S&B Burgers. They love their communities. They are out there looking for ways. And, and, and But when I say that, I say they are on the street with homeless people. They don't just walk up and hand you a meal. They're going to sit down and chat with you. How are you doing? How, what else can we do? You know, they have the uh, pantries out in front of their shops. Uh, one of Sunnyside's in Oklahoma City has one, and their restaurant is right by a bus stop. And the owner, Allie Cunningham, was telling me that she loves to see these kids jump off the school bus and they walk over and grab a box of mac and cheese because maybe that that's all that they're going to have, but they know that that's there. You know, there's passion oh. behind that. I mean, there is just... They're owning their nonprofit in the sense that, that they're they're my people. They're my people. They're making it just part of their family. And that that to me, that moves me. It's not an afterthought. And I, I love that it speaks to just the collective movement of people moving into goodness on the for-profit side, the nonprofit side. At the end of the day, that's like a tax status. It is not about intention or what you could do and we love meeting people that just find the way to perpetuate goodness. And sometimes that is through launching a business or having a restaurant. And sometimes that's standing up a nonprofit, but nonprofit's not the answer. You know, it's just one of the solutions. So I love that. Oh, shout out. Shout out to all you people out there caring about others. It goes back to kindergarten. Look at that. Look, <laughs> look at that theme. buddy bench. There's a theme here. I feel like people. There's a book here. Like everything I learned, I learned in kindergarten. <laughs> you know, I feel like I can see uh, a book. There's your one dad joke. Okay. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I definitely think, you know, through our experience at Integris, we are so inspired by the movement that was created and it's completely and wholly based on people's individual passion. I mean, we were good stewards to create an infrastructure that supported that, you know, a campaign that made people feel empowered that they could give an amount of money out of their paycheck and that would create an outcome like, I don't want to oversimplify that because you need the people that behind the scenes can do all that work, but so inspiring from our standpoint to see thousands of people generously give, feel connected, give in honor and in memory or whatever to honor a part of their story like that um, has been probably one of the most meaningful things that we've gotten to be a part of just from the generosity of, 
of people. And so I think asking is really important. I think, you know, a lot of nonprofits are scared to ask and you just shouldn't be scared to ask because those closest to you in your organization are there for a reason. And so them as a donor at whatever level makes sense for them, um, ignites and engages at a different level. So, yeah, I would say that was one of our, our hacks and our secret sauces to the campaign is one that everyone matters and we never set a goal, which is very unorthodox in fundraising to not say we're trying to hit X because we were not trying to hit a dollar a goal. We were literally just trying to get as many people giving and understanding how it felt to give. And we went from like 315 donors giving you know, $15,000 to almost 3,500 people giving almost a million dollars a year. And in, in the, the million dollars is great, but it's like, when you see that someone who is in housekeeping at a hospital is giving more than a hospital president, because her mom had a, a very arduous battle with breast cancer and she wants to honor her mother at a very significant way, you feel a sense of responsibility to steward that gift incredibly well, to make her feel like the most important donor in the room, to spend those dollars exactly how you have outlined. And when you do that, we kept seeing on the back end, the the level of connection to the project and a feeling of, oh my gosh, I made a difference. And they enjoy their job so much more at that point. And I just think that there's so many intrinsic intangible things that come from that. None of which is, you know, the project gets funded and we get to help a lot of people. But what it does for you internally is the thing I think that can uplift community, change people and give them a bigger heart to want to do more. And we wouldn't even have to ask, do you want to upgrade your gift? They would because they believe so much in what it had actually, they had seen it done before. Hmm. It feels good to do good. Amen. There you go. Okay. So when you guys hear corporate social responsibility, what does that mean to you? What does that look like in your world? Yeah. I mean, I think I kind of was, leaning into that discussion with our looking at corporate giving, but I do think it's addressing every bit of it. You know, we get really tired. I'm sure you experienced this as a podcast host. It's hard to go a little bit deeper than just the first blush conversation. And for us, one of those things would be DEI, like diversity, equity, inclusion. I think it's really easy to keep having the same top level conversation to check the box. We need to look at that. But what I see about CSR and this kind of next piece is that it's no more just checking the box. Oh, we have a cause that we support or where you go to the gala. It's like, how are you looking at the systems that are in place, the way that your policies are written, the way that you impact on the supply chain and how you impact in the community, which is why we're seeing all these new positions be created. And I think we've met some of the most amazing people that are leading this. So we, we get to meet the lead impact advisor. What's her role? Social impact officer. Social impact officer for Viacom CBS. So if you just think about just the stewardship she's got to look at a media company that's worldwide, that has all these outlets for change. And it's like the fact that now Viacom is investing in those channels and she is helping to lift through storytelling, through giving time and through giving just bandwidth to these causes is really a unique way and lens to look at it. So as people are dedicating resources, I think we're going to see this next 10 years is just going to be completely different. And I think, you know, shareholders, stockholders are looking at that too, as like, 
this is a viability thing. This is about being a long-term player, playing the infinite game. It's not just about just delivering value in dollars because the upcoming generation doesn't really care about that. Spoiler alert. They care about <laughs> causes. They care about money, but. Well, and they'll call you out on it and they can create, you know, in a cancel culture that we're living in right now, you know, if, if Nike's going to give a million dollars away to Black Lives Matter, but doesn't have a single person of color on their board, their, their users and their consumers are going to call them out for that. And I got to tell you, I am here for it (laughs) because I want everyone to be held accountable and we want people um, to not just say what's important, we want them to act out and live it and embolden their people. And um, I really think it can create just a more harmonious world. I hate to be too idealistic about it, but it definitely gets us out of these people with the most power and the most money are up here and people down at the base level have no power, no influence. And now we're seeing the the inverse is becoming true and I'm just so excited about it. So that's, that's really what corporate social responsibility means to me in the future too. Nice. I love that. I was on a, um, well, I was actually presenting at Oklahoma Ventures Forum recently. And after I told them about Made Possible Buy and what we do, one of the board members said, actually as the president, he had interviewed three people for a position at his company that day. And he said he felt like the interview got completely turned around because they, every one of them were asking him, how do you give back to your community? How are you involved? How are you committed to your community? And they were the younger people and that's what they cared about. That was what was important, but he was shocked by it. And he's probably in his thirties. So he wasn't that, you know, he wasn't that far off, you know, the divide there, but it's right. It's turning around. It's turning around. I love it. Me too. So do you guys think it's okay for businesses to talk about the good that they do in their communities? Oh, I think it's imperative. And I mean, I, I would jump on the soapbox of show, show the full veneer of who you are. Don't hide that stuff in the closet because that is the stuff people want to hear. They want to know that you are beyond more than just a bottom line, that you're not a bunch of bean counters trying to get to a certain number, a certain budget or margin. It's really about how are we showing up? How are we investing in our people? How are we listening and serving our clients and our consumers? And the way that we show up and serve our community is just as important as our bottom line. So I would say that if you're not doing that, you would be falling far behind and you're missing such a window to humanize. John talked about this earlier, giving your company a soul and you can give it a soul when you talk about the positive impact that you're leaving, not only on your community, but on communities that are beyond your headquarters. You know, one of these examples that I think I saw just like a week ago that really inspired me was Tom's. And so I, I was the guy who wore Tom's like all of college. I love the one for one giving. I love getting their impact report, but you know, as they've evolved and you know, if you really dig into this, maybe not everybody's aware that model, while it's beautiful from a storytelling perspective, it created some downstream harm in the ways that in some communities, you know, there could be people trying to sell shoes. That's their livelihood. And Thomas comes in with all these free shoes and it could really kind of throw off some of the economies locally. And I don't know that this is the sole reason that they moved away from this model, but as they've restructured how their giving back program is, they just came out with literally giving one third of their profits to grassroots community organizations. 
And what I love about that and what it speaks about the moment is that it's shining a light on these organizations that would never get the chance to get this kind of level of funding. And it's putting this new onus on, it's not just this flashy, I'm partnering with this really beautiful organization. It is one that is in the community that supports the communities like right there. I mean, there's just no getting around that. And I just love that they're putting a light on it. And if they weren't using their position of power and influence to talk about it, I mean, I hope this will lead to more, you know, change in the industry of just so how can our giving back programs be more whole and more pure? I don't know for sure that it is unrestricted, but I sure I bet it is unrestricted just based on how they've gone about it. And that's a big thing Becky and I are leaning into too. That is the next wave. I mean, you wouldn't make a gift to a corporation and put all these like lock and key, you know, holdings around it. Of you can't hire staff and you can only pay them so much and you can only use this color of paper clips. It's like trust the nonprofits that are there serving the communities to know how to best use the money. And sometimes that is investing in more people. And so moving into that model where there's true partnership, seeing the value and what these nonprofits, these grassroots based nonprofits are providing is a powerful shift. And I think Tom's doing that was really bold and I'm here for it. I love it. Great. I'm glad I'll still, to... I need to get some more Tom shoes. By there the you way. go. So, there, there you go. go. They're, they're, they're still acceptable, even though you're not in college, that's still okay. Yeah. <laughs> more so now pre-pandemic or post-pandemic. There you go. There you go. Now we love to hear you say that because that's what made possible. It's part of what we do is we love to share stories of good and we, um, love to partner with businesses who need some help doing that. So if you need some help, reach out to me. I will help you out. Okay. I want to plug there. You go. little plug. Sorry. little plug there. Um, do you mind if we pick your um, marketing, branding, storytelling brain for a moment? Cause you guys, <laughs> let's do it. You guys, you have the skills. So I, I do not have the skills. So like I said, I steal stuff from their Instagram. So there you go. So <laughs> do it. Uh, I you do. Should. I asked before I did it. So just so you know, people, you don't have I to, asked. we make it all ask. shareable. <laughs> yes. Sharing is caring. Oh, thank you. That's right. Kindergarten. Okay. So this is the 52nd answer round. So give us your number one recommendation. I'm just going to give you several things, but the first one is marketing 15 seconds. What's your number one thing? Okay. I would say syndication. This is a big word that we throw around. It's basically taking one incredible piece of content and finding out how to turn it into 20 touch points or more. I mean, so think of the best video that you've got, slice and dice it and put it and use it in all these places or a long form article, turn it into all these quote cards, turn it into an audio file and use it. Like think smarter, not harder. Nice. I'm stressed about the 15 seconds. Sorry. I do not have a stopwatch. You're okay. (laughs) Okay, good. Because I was waiting for like the bell and I was like, oh, I'm still going. (laughs) No, this is not the gong show. You're okay. Okay. Branding. Okay. I would say for branding, branding is more than your logo. A lot of people think that the logo is the brand, but it's really about what goes into the brand. What kind of values do you have tied into that? What kind of a culture are you creating? When somebody thinks about something like Charity Water, which is an incredible nonprofit organization who does amazing things with their branding, they're not only just thinking about eradicating water, you know, scarcity. They're also thinking about being in community, having really cool videos, being together with a group of people who are all moving in lockstep. Leverage branding to build community, to build a brand and make it have a shelf life that is long, long, long beyond your logo because your logo is probably going to be modernized at some point. Okay. I love Um, it. Website. 
Okay, website. Friends, this is your hub. Like, are you front using porch. it literally as your front porch? It is the, I think, probably one of the most important assets that you have. So it blows my mind working with clients that they want to ins- invest like $3,000 in their website. I'm like, this is your legitimate most important asset that people will see from their phone anytime, day or night. Invest and make it incredible. Provide value in everything you do. So make it is your website create value for the visitor. Okay. There's your 15 seconds. There you go. Storytelling. Ask people what they care about. That is the number one thing, the most important social experiment that you could ever ask someone. What, what are you passionate about? Tell me that story. People love talking about themselves. They love talking about causes and things that are important to their heart. And all of a sudden you have an immediate connection to someone that is vulnerable. It's based in empathy and it's grounded in story. So this can work anywhere in your Sunday school, in your kid's PTA. It can work at a family reunion. Ask somebody, what are you passionate about? If you don't have anyone because you are isolated in COVID, put it on your social channel somewhere and invite people to share, share your own. I love that. That was like 45 <laughs> That's seconds. Totally okay. That's totally okay. That's totally okay. That's one the of the long winded one. No, you're the storyteller. So there you go. There you go. Thank there you. you. Go. Yes. I, you, you've got all the time you want. That's one of my favorite things when I meet, especially teenagers. I love to ask them or younger kids, what's your favorite thing? What do you love to do? If you could go and just do one thing, what's your favorite thing? And sometimes they have to really think, I don't know, what is my favorite thing? And then maybe that's going to help them narrow down. What what do I like? I don't know. But that's one of my favorite questions to ask. I, I find people fascinating. Okay, last one. Uh, philanthropy. What's our number one recommendation? Yes. I think I spoiled this already. Trust the nonprofits. If you're investing trust them to do good with your money because we don't need more giving that's restricted that puts locks on this sector. We need risk capital. We need you to make investment and trust that they can put it to use. That's what they're there for. So trust them, obviously do due diligence and all that, but that's the true philanthropy, one that gives and trusts the others to use it well. Can I piggyback on that? Can I add my own philanthropy 15 seconds? You go. Think of your favorite, picture your favorite charity right now in your mind and go do a five-minute favor for them. That means go and make a gift online. Figure out how to volunteer for them. Go like one of their social posts. Leave a comment. Again, go to your Facebook and say why you love this nonprofit and ask people to share their own. This is such a nice gift that you can do that will raise awareness of the nonprofit that you are so passionate about. It creates conversation. It's a very simple thing. Five-minute favor for your nonprofit. Nice. I like that because it's easy. Easy. Everything should be easy when you're trying to help somebody. Yes. I love that. Okay. So give us your 30 second call to action, your motivational statement. What do you want to leave us with today? Okay. I'll go first. Um, I would say this is like a 10 second thing. (laughs) Stay decent during indecent times. You know, there is, there is a a challenge right now to rise up to the loudest voices that are in the room that could be the most divisive voices in the room. Stay decent, find common ground when you can, listen to other 
to someone else's story, have cognitive diversity, which is embracing that someone else is going to have different thoughts, different experiences than you, and just be kind. Stay decent during indecent times. Mm, that's profound. Like that. How are you going to follow that one up? Gonna be surprising. I was going to say, how are you going to follow <laughs> that up? <laughs> I mean, this would be what I've said a few weeks ago, but last week just was one of those moments, Tracy, that I felt like the stars align. God was like, pay attention to this, but dream big, like dream way beyond just what's easy. Um, and a quote that I heard months ago from one of my favorite podcast guests. I think we've mentioned her today too. Delari Gandhi is my favorite quote. This is a value of the Dell Foundation in Austin. That's take the risk that your challenge deserves. And I think pairing those together, it's like we have one beautiful short life on this planet. What is the most audacious, ridiculous dream that you want to be a part of? And then take some risk to make it happen. Like we we've got to, especially coming from positions of privilege and in the Western world, all the advantages that we have, we should be leaning into that goodness and taking some risks. My goodness, to get really amped up about this. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I love it. You're taking a lesson from your six-year-old girls who are out there taking oh, risks. Oh my gosh. On the skateboard. So well. They're on the yes. skateboard. Get on the skateboard. Get on yeah. your skateboard and go. Just maybe don't go to the big bowl to start right now. Yeah. yeah. maybe. <laughs> you know, we did a drive-by. We got all loaded up with the skateboards and went over to the bowl over there by Mitch Park. And I was like, okay, too many big kids. We're going to come back later. <laughs> yeah. Go early in the morning. We used to take our kids. We'd go uh, early Saturday, Sunday morning and Trust me, the big kids are not even awake yet. Out. Yes, it's all okay, good. turn your dining room, your formal dining room, <laughs> into a skate park in the house like Tracy. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Oh, that's fun times. That's fun times. Well, thank you, John and Becky, for taking the time to join us today. I really appreciate your perspective. I express, ex, I appreciate your expertise. Um, no, zero zero imposter syndrome here. You guys are the real deal. So thank you for sharing your wisdom with us today. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for what you're doing with Made Possible By and all the good that you're putting into world. I mean, I wish there were more of us out there. We could just keep amplifying us and uh, having these really good conversations that leave us all feeling better at the end of the day. Well, we're You're taking awesome, the risk. Thank you so much. We're we're paving the you way, are, right? Paving the way. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> paving the way for more. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. We thank it. you so much, Tracy. This was mm-hmm. so fun. Sure. Well, listeners and viewers, thank you again for joining us for another conversation around good. Please hit that subscribe button uh, so you don't miss another story of good. And please give us a review. These guys, oh my gosh, we are for good. You guys have like 155 reviews. Do you know that on your podcast? You got a lot of reviews. I was like, man, that's awesome. That's awesome. So yeah, we asked for them. There you go. <laughs> so we're so, marketers. There you go. There you I'm go. asking. I'm asking. So give us a review and uh, hit that subscribe button so you can enjoy all of our stories of good. So thanks again for joining us and get out there and do your own good. Thank you for joining us for another conversation around good. Hit that subscribe button so you never miss out on a story of good. Made Possible By makes giving easy for community-minded businesses and provides a better way to share their stories of good. Go to madepossibleby.us for more information or to sign up to be a guest on our podcast. Now, get out there and make good loud.
here. Forward conversation. Gonna have a good time. Gonna, 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 gonna. Here, here. Forward conversation. Gonna have a good time. Say what, say what, say what, say what. Here to talk.